good morning. Turn to 1 Corinthians 10 and verse number 23. We're going to finish a discussion that Paul has, a section that started all the way back in chapter number 8, of 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Uh, very long discussion. And uh, the Corinthians had written Paul asking for advice about a particular problem that was especially pressing in the culture in which they lived. The problem was food, more particularly meat offered to idols. Uh, Meat was often uh, the surplus, the meat that was offered was often the surplus from idol worship. They would give the offering of meat to the idol and then it would be ushered right out into the meat market and sold uh, right outside these pagan temples in the city of Corinth. And so a great question began to arise. And that question was, are we as Christians free to eat meat or not? I don't think any of us here today are asking that question, are we? Uh, But we're more concerned about the question behind that question, I would say. And the question behind that question is, what is Christian freedom and what are its limits? What are we free to do and what are we not free to do? And how do we make those decisions? And how do we make those judgments, what we can and cannot do? And this has been the theme of Paul's writing uh, really since chapter number 8. And he's bringing it to conclusion in sort of a a summary statement. And um, we find that summary statement in, in the end of chapter number 10. And he comes full circle, all the way back around. And what he does in order to make a summary statement, and this is a really good thing for us to remember, the way that he draws it to a conclusion is he backs out as far as he possibly can. And so if you look at verse number 31 of chapter number 10, you see his summary statement. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so he, he summarizes his whole argument on the basis of our purpose in life. You know, the the shorter catechism, question number one, what is it? What is the chief end of man? And the answer is what? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the summary statement that that Paul is is making here. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I just want to make a little bit of a detour and I found in counseling when I counsel people that when people come for marital counseling or whatever kind of counseling it is they're 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 focused like a laser on their problem whatever they perceive as their problem and as crazy as it sounds to somebody who hasn't done it the best thing you can do is to pull their attention back from their problem and look at the big picture and, and see big Bible truths. And those are the help uh, during these times. And so Paul widens out to do all to the glory of God. And that's literally the highest purpose an individual can have is to be totally absorbed in the person of God. To view all of life through eyes full of wonder and glory of who God is. That's the perspective of a true worshiper, one who truly glorifies God. 
John Piper calls it Christian hedonism. I'm sure you've heard that term. To glorify God and to ascribe to him worth and to bring the right opinion of him. So with that, let's uh, stand and we'll read God's word together. Read this passage. And if you guys will forward the slides for me. All things are lawful, verse number 23. All things are lawful. Notice that's in quotes. That's, that's Paul's quoting them. But all things are, uh, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of one who informs you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for guidance that we can get from your word on how best to please and honor and glorify you. I ask that we will think seriously about the subject at hand. Not only will we think about it, we will apply it, make application to the various uh, uh, points in life that we find ourselves in. And may you be glorified in the way that we think may be glorified in the way that we react and in the way that we conduct our lives in his name. Amen. Thank you. The application of, of meat offered to idols is important to us. And it's important to us because it helps us to think about gray areas. Now, what do I mean by gray areas? A gray area in the Christian life is an area that's not specifically prohibited by Scripture, but an area that would be under question by Christians and in questionable uh, behavior or questionable of, of freedom. And there, there are two extremes on this matter of gray area that we, we need to avoid. And they've been in the church since the very beginning of the church. And I just want to go over those to kind of set a, a base for us to, to go on. The first one is what I would call license. We would characterize these people as having maybe an underactive conscience. They were, they were thrilled with their liberty in Christ. They heard the Apostle Paul talk about freedom from the law and and. That's ours in Jesus Christ now that his tomb is empty and he's risen in victory over the grave. And that message of freedom has resonated deeply with him to the point 
where they could almost hear nothing else other than grace and freedom. And so now what you find these people in danger of, you find them in danger of uh, going to the point where they can almost not hear anything else. They're stretching gospel liberty to the, to the point that they're going into a spiritually hazardous direction. They begin to buck and kick against any and all constraints on their moral behavior. They were becoming moral libertines. Licentiousness had begun to find a home with them, among them. And so Paul is writing here to inform them on what basis their freedoms might legitimately be restricted. And this is something we have to think about. And this would be, I would say, the predominant issue in the church in the 21st century is libertine. It's all about grace. You know, we're not under the law. We're, we're grace, we're uh, sin abounds, grace abounds even more, and, and these sorts of thinking. And so there's, they, they, there's literally no thought to, okay, how do I glorify God in my behavior in this area? The other extreme is what we would call legalism. And in the area of gray area, in gray areas, that would be somebody who has an overactive conscience. You know, these, these are the guys who are concerned indeed about upright living, so much so that they began to impose additional, unnecessary, extra biblical uh, restrictions on Christian liberty. And they began to judge those in the Corinthian congregation who did not meet their exacting standards. So in contrast to the libertines over here, you have the legalists over here. Uh, I used to explain this to teenagers when I was a youth pastor this way. If you can picture, I finished, you, you heard me talk about this earlier in the summer, I finished the series, uh, The Last Dance, Michael Jordan's last season. Some of you have seen that. If you haven't, you should. Um, uh, he was the greatest basketball player of all time, just to let you know where I stand on that, Okay. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but think about Michael Jordan in basketball when, if you were a libertine on, on, in basketball, you would be the guy that everybody hates because you, you would grab the basketball and you would just run down the court, no dribbling. You'd knock guys out of the way and put the ball in the hoop and say, look, that's the, that's the object of the game. Put the ball in the hoop. Who cares about the rules? You know, you run over to the bleachers and grab something. That's the libertine. The legalist, they're the guy that's got their head down. They're always looking at the boundaries, getting as close to the boundary as possible without crossing the boundary. And they're making new rules as they go along. You hate those people in games, don't you? Making up their own rules. Um, and they're making up rules. No, you got to make sure you dribble twice every time you take a step instead of just once. And, and they're making up these rules and getting worse and worse. And neither one of them have the right focus. One hates the rules and destroys the game. The other one adds rules to the game and is focused on the boundaries and ruins the game as well. And when the game is played, it's put the ball in the hoop. And that's what we need to think about as we think about our Christian lives. What is it that we are here for? 
And we're here for the purpose of glorifying God. And so I want to answer this question, how do I glorify God in my freedom in Jesus Christ? I'm going to give you six principles real quick. Number one, choose to edify rather than gratify. Look at verse number 23. He quotes them, all things are lawful, and he retorts, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, he quotes them again, but all things do not build up. Paul quotes their slogan, all things are lawful. This is the second time he's done it. He did it back in chapter 6, verse number 12. You know, we're free in Christ. We're not under the law. We're under grace. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more, they were saying. And what Paul responds, he says, not everything is helpful and not everything builds up. And these two words that he uses are basically conveying the same thing. Uh, he's, he's, he's lumping them together. Spiritual growth, you ready? Spiritual growth constitutes what is helpful, what is beneficial, what is advantageous. And only things that are helpful build up, right? When, when we are faced with a decision about a practice, we should first ask this question, do I have a right to do it? If the answer is yes, if it's not forbidden in Scripture, then our next question is, is it profitable? Is it edifying a building for ourselves and for others? If the answer to both of these questions are yes, then we can do it to God's glory. And if the answer to either one of these questions is no, then we cannot do it to God's glory. Does it make sense? We have to keep that in mind. A lot of people aren't used to thinking that way. We, we live in a society that doesn't. I'll get into that in just a minute. Number two, Choose others over self. Paul is a master theologian, and immediately he exposes the flaw in their libertinism. He says this in verse number 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Now, you see what he's doing here? He, he sees right through them, and he's saying, now look, when you're boasting about your liberties like this, you're really only thinking about who? Yourself, exactly. We know that, we understand. When you're only thinking about our own liberties, we're only thinking about ourselves, and that's the problem. How far can I go? How much can I get away with? Uh, one of our children, uh, sometimes we would just have to say, will you please go into the other room? We were trying to have a conversation, couldn't have another conversation. And so if the other room was right here, they would step right across the line and just stare at us. How far can we go, right? That approach to Christian ethics centers on herself. I've got my freedom. I'm gonna go as far as my freedom as I can. Don't bother me. That's a completely self-centered approach. We're not really thinking about anyone else. But Paul says what? He says, okay, then don't seek your own good, but seek the good of your neighbor. 
He wants us to be thinking not first about ourselves, but rather about the welfare of our neighbors. And that is one of the hallmarks of the Christian community that should set us apart from everybody else. You think about what we've been through this year in 2020, and what you see over and over and over is my freedom, my rights, my this, my that. And the Christian community should be different from the world by the fact that we look at others and consider others first. You'll remember this refrain from previous treatments all the way from chapter 8 to chapter number 10. Love constrains liberty. Love for one another imposes limitations on our freedom for your sake and for mine. Give me a, let me give you a third thing. Number three, when we're thinking about how to glorify Christ in these gray areas, choose liberty over legalism. Choose liberty over legalisms. Now, I read a commentator who, who observed this. You can imagine when this letter was first read on a Sunday morning in Corinth, he said the legalists in the church were loving, verses 23 and 24. They're all flashing everybody, knowing smiles. And there's these little grins until we get to verses number 25 to 27, and Paul wipes the smiles right off their face. I thought that was pretty funny when he said this. The third principle for using Christian freedom for the Lord's glory is that of following liberty over legalism. To, to some degree, this principle counterbalances the previous one. The true welfare of others should be our first concern, no doubt about it, but their standards should not rule everything that we do. As much as possible, we should keep from offending the weak conscience of fellow believers, but we don't go to the legalistic extreme of making great issues out of everything that we do. So there's a balance, and it's very difficult to find. Look at what he says. He says, eat whatever sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. If it doesn't bother your conscience, buy it and eat it. That's what he's telling them. Don't raise the question. Because what happens when you raise the question? Automatically becomes a question of conscience. And this is what he says. He quotes Psalm 24 in verse number 1. He says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In other words, Christians have no business participating in idolatrous ceremony because to do so becomes participants with demons but after that idol meat comes out of the temple and is placed in the meat market, then eat it like all other meat because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You see the argument going on there. Then he says this, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever's set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. You know what he's saying there? Don't become a legalist. Was this product made in China? <laughs> no, nah, it's only a joke. But uh, um, don't restrict your liberty for the sake of the legalist. That's the air I, I grew up in, early ministered in. I remember as a new youth pastor going to these pastors' meetings and the endless debates over the King James Version, over suspecting 
You know, I think that church played a song with syncopation in it. Over, um, you know, you name it. There was, there was an intense desire or pressure, maybe is the right word, to restrict liberty over some legalist opinion. Don't eat, don't drink, don't touch, don't dance, don't play cards, don't listen to contemporary music. Don't, just stop it, don't do it. Some of you grew up in that, didn't you? You know what I'm talking about. And so don't, don't give in to the legalists, but at the same time figure out if this issue, is it hurting somebody with a weak conscience or am I giving in to the legalist? Because the legalist likes to portray himself. Well, anyway, let me just move on to number four. I don't want to say too much about that. Number four, choose to be gracious over conflict. Verses 28 to 30 are notoriously difficult to interpret. Let's read them together, and then I'm going to give you two dominant interpretations of these verses. I'm kind of going to kind of let you decide. You'll kind of pick up on where I am on this, but look at what he says, 28 to 30. This almost seems to contradict what he just said. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. All right? Whose conscience? I do not mean yours, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? And doesn't that sound like he's speaking in circles? And then he says, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I gave thanks? All right, so there's two interpretations of these verses. The first one is, he, he sets up, let me back up for just a minute. Paul sets up this fake scenario, this make-believe scenario, where you're at a pagan person's house, and you're eating the meal, and the meat is set before you, the food is set before you. And the first interpretation says that the person who mentions that this, the source of the meat was the weaker brother, weaker Christian brother. And so Paul is saying, in order not to offend their conscience, don't eat the meat. That's interpretation number one. Interpretation number two is that the person who says, did you know that this meat was offered to, to idols, is actually the pagan host. And so what he now says is don't eat it. Don't eat it for the sake of the person who informed you for their conscience. Now, what on earth is he talking about? Well, there's a little bit of background behind this, and I want to give this to you, see if this makes sense. In the centuries prior to the birth of Christ, there was a wave of persecution of Jews under the Seleucid king Antiochus Epiphanes. You ever heard of him? You have, haven't you, right? And one of the ways that these Hellenistic Greeks uh, persecuted Jews was to require the Jews to eat meat that they knew had been offered to an idol. And what it was, it was a test of faith. And, and something like that, I believe, is what Paul has in mind here. Think about it. He's tightening the screws. This, this guest, this um, pagan guest or even pagan host at the meal knows that you're a Christian. 
that you're a follower of Jesus, and he really wants to put you in a tight spot. He thinks that if you eat meat, knowing that it had been offered to an idol, that you're being disloyal to Jesus. And here's the thing. You know that the meat that was offered to an idol is nothing and that you can take of it for thank- and, and be thankful about it. But the non-Christian thinks that if you eat this meat, that you're not being loyal to King Jesus. You see? And, and, and so he sets limits there and says, if that's the case, don't eat the meat. That's, that's why he, he, he sets limits in verses 29 and 30. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced of that for which I give thanks? Okay, so he's, he's setting out limits here. And what he's saying I think, is if it's the pagan host, don't eat the meat. If it's a weaker brother, don't cave to the tyranny of the weaker brother or the, or the, the legalist. Beware of those who will claim that they take offense at some conviction or practice of yours, that you must therefore immediately surrender your freedom or, or believe as your conscience allows and the scriptures dictate. And so, um, we actually have a secular version of that. I think everybody here has heard it. You know what the secular version of this is? You ready? It's running rampant in our culture. Here it is. It goes something like this. If you love me, then you will embrace my lifestyle choices without qualification or restriction you will embrace those choices affirming my liberty to do so. You must surrender your liberty to say something to me. Is that not our culture? Your convictions, your lifestyle offends me, and so you must be made to comply with my enlightened position. Your compliance to the dictates of my conscience is the only way that I can know that you belong to an inclusive society. You Christians, let me throw that on at the end. Am I right? We are not allowed to love the person and disapprove of their lifestyle. To do that in their minds is to say, you don't love me. And that's the same kind of pressure that they were feeling in Corinth. That's not liberty, Paul's teaching us here. That's tyranny. Why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience if I partake with thankfulness? Why am I denounced for that which I give thanks? You see, Paul is saying, look, don't allow things to, don't allow yourself to give in to somebody else's tyranny. Let me give you number five. Remember the purpose of Christian freedom. Now we're back to the central principle of the whole idle meat discussion. So whether you therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The purpose of our liberty is to carefully and selflessly glorify God. Look at how fascinating this verse is. We glorify God in the most mundane of chores, if you want to call it a chore, most mundane parts of life, eating and drinking. You ever thought about that? 
God, I'm eating this banana split to your glory. I'm going to eat another one to your glory too. Everything in life, down to even eating and drinking, should be to God's glory. Can you say that that's true in your life? Everything is to God's glory. How, how, do you, how you live is about God's glory. You, let me say this, dear believer, listen to me. You exist for God's glory. There is no higher purpose in life. And it doesn't matter what your occupation is. It doesn't matter what the world thinks about what you do. Your purpose is higher than that of even President Trump. Because your purpose is to glorify God. By the way, his is too. I don't know if he's conscious of it. Okay? But his is too. But you as a Christian know that day in and day out. You wake up every morning and say, God, my purpose today is to glorify you in everything I do. Please help me to do that. By the way, have you ever woke, awakened in the morning saying, God, I'll be honest with you, I'm not feeling it today, so please help me to glorify you in, in this task I'm about ready to do? I'm the only person, right? So Paul wants us to ask ourselves as we weigh this decision, is God glorified as I do this? Is he honored? Before the eyes of the watching world, will God be glorified by this choice, by this decision? The glory of God is simply not our concern on Sunday when we sing his praise. And, and by the way, I think that's sometimes the way we treat Sunday. We treat Sunday as I've done my duty, I've punched my ticket. I've given, I paid my tax to God. Now the rest of the week is my time. God, leave me alone. But what Paul is saying here, this fundamental principle will guide you throughout all your deliberations and all your decision making Monday through Sunday. Will this decision, will this action, will this behavior, will this way of speaking and acting bring glory to God? That brings weight to everything that we do. Everything. Let me give you the last principle. Remember, our objective is evangelism. Verses 32 to 11.1. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be what? Saved. Be imitators of me, as I am a Christ. So his goal is to see people saved, and then he looks at the church, and he says, church, do likewise. Paul wants people to be saved. And so here's his question. Is my behavior consistent with the gospel? If I were to share the good news about Jesus in this company would the way I have just spoken and the things I've just watched me do, they have just watched me do, would they be consistent with the gospel? Would they make the gospel plausible or laughable? Would they laugh at you? Or would they listen to you when you open your mouth to speak for Christ? I want them to be saved, so I want my life to reflect and mirror the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's Paul's desire. Well, there you have it. Whether therefore you eat or drink, 
I'm so used to the King James. I'm sorry. I'm just going to quote it, King James. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all the glory of God. We can strive to glorify God in the most mundane of tasks. You know when I'm reminded of that sometimes? When I take the dog out. There's mundane for you, right? Are you striving to glorify God in all your choices in these areas of liberty? I pray to God that we are. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the guidance that we receive from the Apostle Paul in these areas of liberty. Our our world is more libertine than legalistic, it seems. And so uh, it may not be a question that many people are asking, but we still need to ask that question nonetheless. Are we glorifying you in every aspect of our life? I pray that we will become a church more and more glorifying you in everything that we do. In Christ's name, amen.